Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. We will continue our discussion with McDonald's in this episode. And if you haven't checked out our first podcast, please do so before listening to this one. All right, Hari, let's get started. Yeah, so um, the uh, before we get started, we have a disclaimer. Um, you know, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. Um, we are not financial advisors and we don't know your specific financial situation. So please consult with the appropriate advisor before making any uh, investment decisions. Okay, so we were talking about McDonald's and in the previous episode, we kind of went over what is the business um, what we thought our competitive advantage was for McDonald's, and um, you know, we saw we heard that uh, McDonald's was really not growing their top line revenue. It was kind of negative point seven percent for the last ten years, and in the last uh, three to five years, they've actually been accelerating their their negative growth by you know to a negative five percent. So, um, you know, we and we saw a business that spends you know couple billion dollars a year in capital expenditures to open new new stores. Um, but um, most of their CapEx was actually focused on, um, you know, refurbishing their existing stores. So, you know, looking at those things, you know, one of the things that we want to see, um, and you, you, you know, our, our next episode, we're actually going to talk about this return on capital and why it matters for even a business that's not growing. Um, um, and for those of you who who don't really know what uh, return on capital is, I'd, I'd highly recommend listening to our earlier episodes where we we do break down the financials of companies and what all the financials means. But um, you know the, the you know and and we're going down our checklist now. Um, and the question that's coming up here is 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 McDonald's able to translate its moat, uh, which we said was based on its significant brand, um, into a high return on capital? Yeah, so let's take a look at that. So before we do that, actually, this is a new kind of metrics that uh, I've seen this metric before, but I think it's interesting that they use this. They use return on incremental invested capital. Okay, so it's not return on invested capital; it's incremental invested capital. So what that actually means is this is this is something that they actually report on in their 10K. So I think it's important to just. Just note that, highlight that here. So how do you how do you calculate this? So the way you calculate this is on the on the denominator, on the denominator on the bottom. Actually, let's start with the numerator. Numerator is basically it's it's basically the same same thing. It's uh, operating income, and you add back depreciation and amortization. That's the numerator. But what you do so so that's that's what you do, and on the bottom is weighted. Average cash use cash used for investing activities, and so you take that. But the difference here is that instead of taking the sum, so you know, for example, you know, you'd be taking, for example, uh, in regular return on invested capital calculation, you'd be taking just you know straight of liabilities or asset from that year, right? That snapshot. But what this is doing is they're taking the difference, and so say, uh, return on incremental capital. So what they're doing is they're taking the difference between 
2019 number and 2018 number, and then dividing that by the invested capital. Boy, I mean, it sounds like McDonald's uses all of all parts of the cow, including the poop, when they uh, <laughs> generate their uh, when they discuss return on capital, huh? Um, so, so, it, it, so I think it raises some you know red flags here because what it ignores is it ignores the it's just looking at the snapshot, right? It's just looking at the difference. It's not looking at it's not taking into account the entire full story, right? Yeah, I mean, first of all, if you're adding back depreciation and amortization, what what you're looking at right there is EBITDA, right? And so if you're using EBITDA as a thing, right, then you're trying to compare that to how much money do you have to spend, you know, to maintain your business as an incremental, you know, investment. Um, so there's there's several problems with this. One it's hard to calculate this against another business, right? Um, because not every business is going to report this and not every business is going to use it, right? I, so I would like to know how much a franchised business similar to McDonald's in size would get a, as a return on capital, right? And if they're using a different metric, it makes it hard to, to measure that, right? I, I mean, you can say these things, right? But at the end of the day, what I would want to see is EBIT over uh, invested capital. So assets, um, yeah. you know, minus cash, um, and yeah, so on. So exactly. what, what do you, what do you, what do you think of their normal, um, so of, of normal yeah, metrics so, here? Yeah. So obviously some, there are some baggage associated with return on invest incremental invested capital. But if we just look at EBIT over capital employed, so this is a return on capital employed, uh, they get about 20%. Uh, so 20% uh, is uh, is what we get. Uh, and the way I calculated that is EBIT as a numerator and a, and a denominator, it's uh, it's capital employed. And the way you calculate that is uh, you take the asset and then subtract the current liabilities. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's, that's really the number we would want to look at in a company like this, right? They are a somewhat asset light business because they don't actually own the restaurants. You know, they have franchisees who do that uh, for them. So for the most part, these companies are, are asset light, right? This, this was the original asset light business model, you know, before tech was kind of around. So, um, yeah. uh, so, you know, so, I, I think that's the number that I would use for anything that we're looking at here. Yeah. And if you look at return on, Invested capital ROIC, it's around the same, uh, and also we also have to make sure that you use not just one single year's number. You kind of have to look at it more globally. And for the past ten years, let's say you're getting around that number, around twenty to twenty-five, roughly, is the number that you're seeing here. Okay, um, which which. Kind of makes sense. I mean, I, I think the thing is, is that number is going to decline as the revenue declines too, yep. right? Because their asset and their expenses aren't really going to change um, unless they can significantly cut down expenses. And, you know, I imagine labor is a big part of that. And, you know, in states where they're going to have um, squeezed minimum wage laws, you're going to end up with businesses moving to some sort of robots or something like that to to meet the the food demand, so um, that may be something that they they'll have to invest into to lower costs. But 
Um, okay, we, we've talked a lot about return on capital. We should look at the, the rest of the balance sheet um, and the income statement here. Um, so, you know, does does the company have enough cash um, to, you know, to operate and maintain its business? Yeah, so I like to look at I like to look at the short term and then also the long long term here. So if you look at the short term, uh, I like I like to look at the current ratio. So the current ratio right now, and the way you calculate the current ratio is to, you take the current asset and then you divide that by the current liabilities. Right now, it's right at one, around one, and historically, it's been above one. It's been around like one point five. In some years, it peaked at like three or something like that. Yeah, three point two, but all of Overall, for the last 10 years, it's been around 1.5, let's say. Okay. Um, So let's talk about debt and free cash flow, um, because I think this is an important part of um, seeing if uh, McDonald's is going to run into financial problems in the future. Um, So does the company maintain reasonable debt levels? And we typically call reasonable something that they can pay off with free cash flow in three to four years. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's, this is where it gets really interesting. So the debt has been growing at a compounding annual growth rate about, of about 10% for the last three years. Oh, 18%. we found some growth. We found some growth in McDonald's finally. Here it is. Here's the growth. Yeah. <laughs> I asked you the question, Becco. You know, you know, what are their prospects for growth? And you held out on me till here. Exactly. Uh, exactly. This is unacceptable, we Becco. The, we found the freaking gold mine right here. <laughs> yeah, just this, keep borrowing this money. Is the, this is where the growth happens. Yeah. This is the reason why you didn't specify in that question. I didn't. You're what right. Prospects for growth, right? No, no. This is clearly on me. I'm an idiot for, for writing this checklist <laughs> and not including the word revenue or, you know, <laughs> yeah. income. But, uh, yeah, so this is where it gets interesting. So the past three years, it grew, it grew at 10% a year. For the last five years, it grew at 18%. And for the past 10 years, it grew at 12%. So it's been basically growing at 10% every single year for the past 10 years in debt. And now what we end up with is with a balance sheet that's, that, is, that, is, that is burdened with $34 billion of debt. And- uh, yeah, $34 billion of debt. And and for context, they have twenty billion in revenue, uh, roughly. Yeah. So for context, they have twenty billion in revenue, and for free cash flow, they get about five. Okay. And just one more thing, I think it's important that we look at this. Start looking at this now, uh, because of COVID and all these other things that require kind of short-term capital crunch. If you look at when are these debt due. Uh, in 2020, we're okay. Debt obligation due in 2020 is about it's about 60 million dollars, so not that bad. But if you start looking ahead a little bit, 21, 22, and 2023, it starts going up. 2021, uh, the debt obligation you have to you have to pay back two billion. The, the year after that, 2022, another two billion, and then the year after that, six billion, and so on and so forth. So they they're going to extinguish 10 billion in debt in the next 3 years which yeah which is not you know free cash flow does cover that um but that still there leaves another 24 billion that is 3 years and beyond yeah free cash flow does cover that but then we have to think about we'll get to this later when we talk about management but uh, shareholder shareholder interest alignment 
comes into question when you look at dividend and uh, share purchase stock, stock buyback programs. All right. Well, if you weren't paying attention, McDonald's is a growth company. All right. Moving on. Um, <laughs> moving on. The two management. Um, so we, we just, you just, you know, it was a good segue and I, I blew it. Uh, but is management properly incentivized to protect shareholders' interests over its own? Um, you know, and, and a couple ways that we normally think about that is, you know, is there a founder running the company? No. In this case, McDonald's is, you know, too old for that. Um, or does someone someone or some group own a significant portion of their net worth in the in, in McDonald's? Yeah. So right off the bat, um, let me just paint a little bit of color on just a little bit of color on what went down last year. Um, I mean, this is like a frequent occasion nowadays. The CEO got fired for having a relationship with one of the employees, which violated the you know the rules and regulations within the company. So a new CEO CEO was instituted uh, pretty recently, actually. Uh, if you look at the board makeup, it's interesting. Actually, let's let's talk about this later uh, after we talk about the shareholder uh, return in terms of the dividend payments and the shareholder uh, buyback program. Okay. <clears throat> um, so new CEO. Um, yeah. Have they managed handle or bleh, has management handled excess capital in a shareholder friendly way? So we typically think of this as. Um, you know, for a business that's not growing, they don't have a lot of places to deploy capital to to grow their. Um, you would want them to buy back shares and pay a hefty dividend. Um, you know, is is are those things occurring? Do we see that as a sustainable thing for the future, uh, and so on? Yeah. So if I look at their dividend payments as well as stock purchase, stock repurchase program, and you sum that up, you sum them up and just say, let's just call that uh, total shareholder return, right? And then you divide that number by free cash flow. What you get is a ratio, and the ratio tells you that if that number is below one, that means that these, these programs for shareholders, either through dividend or stock purchase, it's really within the limits of free cash flow. So you're not overextending your company to draw out debt or, you know, tap into cash reserves and things like that to pay out uh, in excess uh, to shareholders. Now, if price makes sense, for example, for stock purchase programs, if the company is trading such a, such, you know, at such a discount, then it might make sense to do all these things. But uh, for the history, for, for the, for the large, largely the history of McDonald's, it hasn't been trading really cheap. And so if you look at that number for McDonald's, it has been consistently above one, meaning that they're using above and beyond what they get from free cash flow to dispense checks to shareholders in, in the form of dividend and also buy a whole bunch of stocks uh, through the repurchase program. So just to give you some more color on this, last year, 2019, free cash flow after CapEx, we talked about CapEx earlier in the episode, after CapEx, Free cash flow is about five billion, right? Five point eight billion. If you sum up the total ret total return to shareholder, it's about eight billion. So where is that three billion coming from, right? And if you look at the cash reserve, it's 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 been going down. Uh, if you look at the debt, it's been going up. And if you actually draw, if you 
if you look further back into history, uh, it, it tells a very interesting story. So cash peaked in 2015, and also the debt, the total liability starts really ramping up in 2015, 2014. Uh, and the trend has been consistent ever since. Uh, so they're drawing debt to do these to execute these buyback programs and stock dividend payments. Um, all the while the debt is, you know, the, 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 the balance sheet is, is basically getting, getting, uh, getting levered. So uh, can you, can you kind of give us an idea of how much, how many shares have they retired or what percentage of their shares have they retired in the last, you know, three, five and 10 years? Sure. Uh, number of shares outstanding right now uh, is about, let's see. It's about 750 billion, uh, 750, sorry, 750 million shares. Uh, and they started off, let's say, let's go back to 2010, for example. Uh, they're at a billion, billion shares. So they've, re- they've reduced the share count by a quarter, 25%, yeah. which yeah. is not, I mean, it's not fantastic, but it's, you know, it's pretty good. So they, they were probably buying back shares when the market was still valuing them at a premium, it sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. And so I dig a little further into their board composition um, because, you know, these sort of behavior is, you know, very noticeable in the private equity sector, right? You load up and you just you execute on these big buyback programs and, you know, everyone is happy. Banker is happy. The executive executive is happy. And, you know, you walk away with fat bonuses, right? So that's what, you know, that's basically the business model of private equity firms. If you actually look at the board makeup, I was actually surprised by this. Um, people who sit on board sometimes are not really related to the business itself, right? And that's fine. Sometimes yep. people do that. Um, like, for example, in McDonald's board right now, there is a commissioner of Woman NBA, Women's National Basketball Association. There is a uh, CEO of Common Spirit Health. This is a big healthcare system in, in the U.S. A CEO of Abbott Laboratories sit on, sit on their board as well. But they also have this guy named Robert uh, Ecker, who is, who's been on the board since 2003, and he runs a private equity firm. And if you go back, if you date back these sort of practices... It really started earlier in 2000s, um, and you can see that you can see that ratio going up again. That ratio I told you, I, 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 talk, I talked to you guys about. You want that ratio to be below one because, you know, normally in normal times, right? You want that ratio to be below one. That ratio started to go above one since 2006, and it has stayed up above one ever since, effectively, ever since then. Uh, so it, I think it paints a pretty logical and interesting picture of, of Walmart or not Walmart, sorry, uh, of McDonald's here. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, given what we've seen here and a, you know, a declining business, uh, one that is, uh, basically, you know, borrowing money to pay out, uh, dividends and buybacks, um, you know, why don't we look at the value of the business? Um, you know, as we see it today and see if we're anywhere close to something that's cheap, right? I, I mean, there's still a potential that my, my McDonald's as a big, huge corporation can 
you know, manage their debt um, appropriately, they can start paying down, um, you know, these loans and then kind of, kind of, you know, but it sounds like the, what is going to have to give in this situation is you're, you're not going to see as much in the way of buybacks or dividends, right, going forward, um, which I think will cause a huge drop in the, the value of McDonald's, you know, as it stands today. But let's see what that value is and then see what potentially, I mean, sure. we, we identified a very strong moat business, but that just because they have a strong moat doesn't mean we want to, to buy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, yeah, what do you exactly. think the the margin of the the value of margin of of the businesses of McDonald's and uh, what is the margin of safety price uh, at which yeah. it would be worth before, looking into? Before we jump to that, really quick, I do want to paint a, just a little bit more color on the business itself. And I talked about it in the first episode, but they basically run two separate business lines, right? The one is one business line is company owned and operated restaurants. The other one is a franchising business. And if you look at if you look at the revenue breakdown, right? Let's just take last year, for example. It's, you know, I thought for me personally, I thought the top line revenue was much more skewed to the franchise restaurants. You know, I thought it was like 99% of it. But if you actually look at the breakdown, it's about 50-50. Hmm. So last last year they brought in about nine billion dollars from sales by company operated. And then from franchise, they brought in about 11. But what, what gets interesting here is if you look at the, if you look at the margins, right, uh, the, the gross margins, it, it, you know, it, it obviously is much, much in favor of the franchise restaurants. Um, so uh, you know, the gross, gross margin on that is about 81%, while company-operated restaurants is about 17%. So I just wanted to give uh, listeners a color on that. And then one more thing I do want to shine light on is this, which is um, if you look at the percentage breakdown in terms of revenue, the company operated revenue uh, has always been above the franchised restaurants. And now, you know, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, the, 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 the net income is a different story and the gross margin is a different story. But just looking at the top line, company operated Revenue comp- sales from company operated restaurants made up about sixty percent, and then it is slowly is slowly flipping. So right now, starting in two thousand eighteen, the the majority, so over fifty percent of revenue is coming from revenue from franchise restaurants. So the the, the company is really pushing, you know, pushing franchise franchise restaurant business much more aggressively than than the company operated one because obviously because of the you know the fatter margins on those those business lines just uh, some color on that okay let's let's go let's talk about valuation because I, I think that's you know it, none of it matters unless this is worth investing in right and we've seen a lot of red flags already so you know what do, what do you think the valuation yeah. and the margin of safety price would be yeah so so we start with initial cash flow Again, uh, you want to kind of average that out. So if you start with that, and I, you know, I, I said the growth rate is let's say none uh, for the last for the next. I'm being really conservative here, right? Being, you know, let's say none for the last for the next uh, one to three years, and then it grows at five percent, and then five percent uh, from four to six, and then seven to ten. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, from the buyback standpoint, from earnings per share perspective, it has been growing at a pretty healthy cliff. 
So for the last 10 years, it grew at 6% earnings per share. Every single year, compounding a growth, an annual growth rate of 6 to 7%. Uh, so that's why I said about 5%. So with that assumption, if you just run the numbers, you get the intrinsic value of $45 per share. Right now, it is trading at, tw- right now, and today we're recording, we're recording on the 28th of June. And right now, the share price is about $180. Whew. Okay. Um, and that's that's with a pretty aggressive, you know, revenue of zero and five, or, you know, a free cash flow growth of zero and five yeah. percent uh, per share. So, um, and we, we, we may see the free cash flow has to be used to pay down debt here at soon. So some of that free cash flow may not actually contribute to share buyback uh, or earnings per share growth in this case. So, yep. okay, so we, we are at um, a business that is grossly overvalued. Um, we would want the company to either preserve cash at this point to pay down this debt um, or, um, you know, and not do buybacks because the, the price of the company is too expensive you know, relative to the value of the business. So, um, so yeah, it doesn't sound like there's a compelling business here, uh, in terms of price. Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I think, uh, I'm just, um, yeah, there's nothing here for us. It's clearly, I mean, there are so many red flags already, uh, everywhere along this checklist. So clearly this is something that I want to stay away from as much as possible. Uh, and this, you know, it reminds me of it reminds me of you know what what might happen to the 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 famous the famous Toys R Us stories or you know, stories of these you know great 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 companies that's been built over the years and uh, with um, you know mismanagement and things like that it just it just crumbles under under its uh, insurmountable debt and I just hope that doesn't happen here. I do think it's kind of hilarious that. Uh... CEO of a healthcare system is on the board of McDonald's. I mean, is he, yeah. is he drumming up business? Is that what he's doing here? Lo- <laughs> load them up with the uh, salt and then they, they get a heart attack and then they come to yeah. the hospital. So, I, I mean, I, I think the, uh, this is not atypical though of, of very large corporations, right? They don't have a, a driving principle anymore. And so a lot of their success is based on coasting, you know, kind of. Right, they've coasted on a on a brand, which I think McDonald's can have a lot of missteps and not lose revenue. You know, not not lose significant amounts of revenue. Um, you know, one thing we did talk didn't really talk about here was the impact from uh, coronavirus, and you know, I think they saw a, a drop of about five percent same store sales here in the last uh, last quarter. Um, you know, and so it may, it may be more significant. Um, in quarter two, but you know, do you think that there's any impact from coronavirus that may accelerate the timeline that we were talking about of having to pay back debt or anything like that? I I don't think so. Um, I think they'll coast uh, as is now. Um, you know, they have a pretty pretty you know they're well known companies. I don't think banks will be shy from lending them more money you know, refinancing and all of that. I don't think it's going to be a problem for this company, McDonald's. Uh, I, I just, I just have, you know, a lot of worries about long-term prospects of this company, um, you know, just because of the debt load and, you know, all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just to, to wrap up here, I think one of the things that as our 
you know, as you look at this, we are seeing a pattern amongst a lot of businesses that after the 2008 recession, a lot of them loaded up on debt because the interest rates were so low that it seemed like it was basically free money, right? And now you have a levered balance sheet with an enormous amounts of debt. And what it's going to end up doing is the next five, 10 years of, of the company's life is going to be essentially just paying down their, their debt, right? They took all this money. They really haven't seen any value returned to their shareholder in any meaningful way. I mean, 6% growth rate is not, that's not enough for me to, you know, be excited about it. But you basically levered up $30 billion and, uh, you know, to do that. Um, so I think yeah, the financial and, discipline here is going to hurt them long term. Yeah, if you look at their share, you know, share price performance, EPS, you know, if you and also if you look at their incentive structure, executives did what they are, you know, they what they should be doing, which is follow the incentive structure. If you look at the incentive structure, it's very clear that share price EPS is clearly you know motivating factor for them and and juicing you know getting the last squeeze out of this as much as possible, loading them up in debt. There's no consideration for long-term, long-term, you know, health of, you know, financial health of this company. Um, and to your point, Hari, a lot of these companies, a lot of big, big, big companies are, are in this space of, of coasting. Um, and it begs the question of what is a graceful way of coasting, you know, not be too greedy and in, in, in juicing up, um, you know, the returns by levering up. Well, I mean, I think the other thing that you, you have to really consider when you look at a business like this, right, this is not something that we would be interested in unless it had some sort of cigar bet kind of setup, right? And, you know, for those of you who don't know, a cigar butt is kind of like, it's on the floor, you take one last puff out of it, and then you throw it away because there's nothing to it. Um, you know, if this were purely cheap, there would be something interesting, but there's no growth here. There's no long-term prospects. Um and, you know, they, they generate a decent return on capital, but it's all going to be paying off debt here in the, in the near term. So, I mean, the, the, to me, the answer for a lot of these businesses is you're going to see in the next five to 10 years a large cap company flatten. You know, they're going to just flatten in terms of all of their growth, right, because they're going to have to pay down, you know, debt. You know, a company that generates six billion dollars or so and seven billion dollars in free cash flow. I mean, they're going to have five, six years to pay this. You know, of just pure free cash flow to pay down debt. It's not a great, you know, setup for anybody, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, they can pay it off. I don't think it's going to kill them because they've they'll, you know, renegotiate their their terms as long as their free cash flow stays above a certain number. I think they'll be okay. But why why even bother? I mean, who is owning a business like this expecting any type of return at this point? Um, you know, and and generate justifying a price that is so high relative to their their free cash flow, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, this is not a business that's growing. So why would you assume that the future you're going to get higher, you know, cash flow? You know, they they don't deserve that multiple. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I do think I do think um, you know if you look at the share price performance, for example, as I mentioned before, like they are they're they're going up, but you know at, at what at what cost? And at some point, you just have to face the reality that the debt is just is just going to 
going to grow and grow and grow. And before you know it, not even free cash flow, if you just look at just interest payment alone, right? I mean, yeah. interest payment alone right now, it's about 10%. But if you keep racking up this debt, it's just going to eat up the, the margins. And what I imagine will happen is if the board doesn't wake up and actually get incentives aligned for long-term you know, health of the company, what I imagine will happen is that they will just refinance finance the debt. And when the debt comes, they'll take out more debt. It's just going to be this vicious cycle of more levering until yep. you know until the board wakes up and actually start starts to you know draft up a compensation plan that aligns with the long-term shareholder interest shareholder interest well and and let's not forget also that this is a company now that can't be defensive about their position either right if if they've if they found an interesting business that they wanted to acquire right like a shake shack or something like that to kind of diversify their their lines they're not really in a a good place to do that long term, right? This is exactly why Toys R Us and companies like that eventually fail. Is that their their focus shifts to paying down? And in Toys R Us's case, it it wasn't even Toys R Us, right? It was a private equity firm that that bought them, levered it up to the hilt, and then eventually the business prospects soured enough that it wasn't enough to pay down their 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 debt, right? McDonald's isn't there yet, and they may not get there. But you're just not going to see a good rate of return, right? They're not converting your cash into money, right? They're converting cash into interest payments, right, and debt payments. That's that's a waste of everyone's time, right? And and you know the funny thing is the board will get paid. You know they get paid yeah. 250k a year to show up four times a year. Have a sandwich, you know, or a McGriddle, I guess. It's probably a McGriddle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then they leave, right? And that's like a McNugget. Yeah, and that's it. So it, it, it's it's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it, right? That that's how this, you know, everybody asked for independent directors, right? And, you know, and, and that was the thing in the 80s and 90s that you wanted boards made up of independent directors. Well, now you have them, and those independent directors have literally no skin in the game. And so they're like, yeah, let's juice up returns now. I mean, I, I'm going to be on the board for like three years. So why, why do I care? You know, I'm going to come here, show up, get my sandwich. You know, I'm sorry, my McGriddle and then I'm done. Right. So, you know, I, I think that's that that is fundamentally the problem with any board. Right. Is you, you need to pay attention to these kind of things. And I think it's a good lesson in. I mean, if I look at this and I compare it to a company like Ubiquity Networks, where the CEO owns 70 percent of it. And, you know, he he essentially has all of his net worth tied up in this in this one venture. Well, you know, he's going to put all his eggs in this basket and he's going to watch it very closely. Right. We're, nobody's watching out for my shareholder interest in McDonald's right now. Right. Yeah. So and that's and by the way, that is the function of directors. That is the that is the primary function of of director board of directors is that you elect them. And by the way, you can elect them. Uh, there's you know proxy you know proxy yeah. voting and everything else that happens, but you elect them to look out for your interests as a shareholder, and they're not doing a good job in many 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 companies, because like Hardy said, you get paid three hundred dollars, three hundred thousand dollars a year just to come to a meeting every quarter and get a McGriddle. <laughs> that is one expensive McGriddle, I have to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Well, great. I thought this was an interesting, fruitful discussion. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. 
Uh, and like we talked about earlier, if you guys have a company that you'd like to you like us for to look uh, for us to look into, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org. And also the Slack channel. Hari mentioned the Slack channel earlier in the episode. Please email us at info at valueinvestor.org if you'd like access to our community. Awesome. Thanks you again. Thank you guys again for joining us. We'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thank you.